0: Hey everybody, welcome to Love ADHD. I'm happy to be here. You may notice that I look a little lonely if you're watching the YouTube video. I don't have my co-host today, Mr. Tony Overbay, the man, the legend. Tony has had some insane things going on. He is busy as always in his practice as a therapist, but he also recently had a family member die. I believe it was an uncle that he was asked to to kind of organize and put together their funeral. And so he's been flying out to do that and keeping track of client stuff. And so as we talked tonight, I thought, why don't I just take one? So I'm excited. It's a lot of power that's going to my head to take on this podcast episode, Love ADHD. It's bringing back memories of when I had my own podcast, I See You. That was a lot of fun. So I'm telling myself I can do this, you know, because I did it for two and a half years. I can do it again. I just, I miss my bro, Tony. I wanted to talk today specifically about... An idea that I was taught by a teacher who's now become a friend. I had him on my podcast, my podcast, ICU, a couple years ago. I had him on for an episode where he talked about dealing with and healing from his son dying from SIDS at about 16 months. I believe his name was Logan and he died in his crib. I think he was taking a nap. If you don't know what SIDS is, it's kind of an unexplained they just stop breathing. It's the most common in in really young kids. I think the younger, the more common. And it's something that parents worry about a lot because there's really not a lot you can do to prevent it. It just kind of unexplainedly happens sometimes. So I'm talking to my friend on this podcast, and he's explaining his belief system in God and how God was a part of all of this. And I remember him saying to me, "I don't believe that God is the cause of all things. I believe He is the context of all things." And that's something that's really stuck with me. And I've seen that phrase be valuable in other situations, especially when we're talking about diagnoses and labels. Let me explain. A lot of people struggle with labels. It's something Tony and I did an episode on, right? We talked about labels specifically. And we came to the conclusion, well, I came to the conclusion. I don't remember if Tony agreed or not, but I'm sailing this ship today. So I think it's true. The conclusion I come to is that Labels are context. They're not cause for behavior. And so they help give us the backstory. They help us understand what's behind it to get to the root of what's going on. But whenever we blame bad behavior on a label, it usually doesn't sit with other people, right? And it probably doesn't sit with us, right? If we're being honest with ourselves. If I say, I have ADHD, therefore I can never be on time. Uh, that feels really limiting. I believe ADHD is the context for a lot of the things that I am susceptible to. I think that I have a susceptibility towards being impulsive, speaking out of turn, a really hyper-focusing, biting my nails and picking at my cuticles and doing other things, getting bored easily when an activity hasn't changed often. I think those are all parts of of what make up the ADHD I see in myself, the symptoms I see. But I believe it's the cause for my behavior because behavior can change, right? We have agency. And as soon as we start framing it that way, the diagnosis, the label, whether it's ADHD, OCD, borderline, multiple personality disorder, bipolar, depression, anxiety, ODD, any of these things, we we can say, oh, they're doing that because of this. Now, once again, I think it's so important to separate and say that is the context, that is the backstory, that is the root of probably where the behavior is coming from. But if we say it's the cause of all behavior, then we limit ourselves to be able to adapt and to change. And I am someone that believes in a growth mindset. I always want to be growing. I always want to be changing and developing and becoming the best version of myself. I love this idea, not just for deity, but for labels as well. So Tony has a really incredible podcast that's been super helpful for me personally and a lot of people I know, I refer people to all the time and it's called Waking Up to Narcissism. Now, narcissism and a narcissist, those are terms, once again, that are thrown around a lot. It's a label that a lot of people have feelings about. Uh, Some feel it's way overused. Others are very comfortable with it. And in my opinion, I do think there are people that overuse it. Once again, in every group of people We're going to use things as an excuse, or we're going to maybe overuse a word to explain something we don't ourself want to face. Maybe we don't want to make changes in our own life. So if that person's just a narcissist, if we can just make it black and white, uh, then we don't have to change. However, I do think narcissism is a real thing. I think that it's a real diagnosis, a narcissistic personality disorder. And I think for the most part, it's a spectrum. I think everybody's on a spectrum. And as Tony so wisely says, as babies, we are born as baby narcissists. Like from a survival perspective, we cry to have our needs met, right? We cry when we're hungry. We cry when we need to sleep. We cry when we're uncomfortable, things like that. And so it makes sense. And then the hope is that as we grow and as we develop through life, that we learn to see from other people's perspective. I remember taking a child development class in college where They showed us how literally children of a certain age, they can't see a different perspective. If you have a box and you have a little toy that you show them from the other side of the box, you lift it up in the air so they can see it, and then you pull it down behind the box where they can't see it, they literally think it's gone. They don't have the mental capacity to see, to understand that you are holding it behind the box. All they can see is it's gone, and so it's gone out of thin air. That's very much so... I think, tied to this idea of being narcissistic as a kid, that you can only see your perspective. And it's a developmental thing. It's not a problem. That's how everybody develops. Our brain has to develop emotional intelligence. So quickly, people can can think of different labels like ADHD, OCD, bipolar, any of these things, and they can call people like that narcissists. Anyone that uses labels as an excuse, is a narcissist. And I think when we're talking narcissistic tendencies, we need to be careful. And I've, I've it's something I've had to work on in my own life. So speaking from experience and my own flaws, uh, I don't even want to say flaws, just I'm learning more. I know more so I can do better, right? I know better so I can do better, as Maya Angelou puts it. You can have ADHD and not have narcissistic tendencies. You can have OCD and not have narcissistic tendencies. You can have bipolar disorder and not have narcissistic tendencies. And maybe, maybe Tony, the therapist will come in and be like, actually, Julie's not the expert on this. Let me set you straight. But I think for the most part, he's going to agree with this. And guess what? He's not here. So we're just going to say what we want to. Also, I'm editing this. So we'll see how that goes too. But if someone is enabled in those diagnoses. So if someone has ADHD and they're taught their whole life that, well, that's just the way you are. You can't control it. You can't grow. Then I think that can develop into narcissistic tendencies. Another way of putting it emotional immaturity. That's also a term Tony uses a lot on waking up to narcissism is emotional immaturity. And so I look at it and I think, well, that makes sense. If we grow up as baby narcissists and then we grow out of that, if we're halted in our progress by not being challenged, by not being disciplined to say, no, it's not okay to treat people this way, whether you have the impulse to do it or not, whether you have the susceptibility to do it or not, there are standards of moral behavior in this home if it is enabled, if you continue to give your children everything they want when they have a tantrum, then you start to see the emotional immaturity continue. And you see those narcissistic tendencies continue because they haven't developed more. It's all one whole. How all labels, all diagnoses, there are going to be people that use it as an excuse. they are going to be be people that use any life experience as an excuse. People can find any reason, and that just is. Narcissistic tendencies just are any way that people can blame their bad behavior on someone else or something else, that shows a real lack of emotional maturity and is veering towards the narcissistic tendencies we see. It's not so much the diagnosis as it is who takes credit for your personal behavior. Do you blame other people for your behavior? Do you blame all life events that have happened to you for your behavior? And I'm saying this as someone who has done this before. I'm saying this as someone I can see where these narcissistic tendencies can happen. I feel like I'm a pretty good person. (laughs) I think so. I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty intentional in my life and I know that I make mistakes daily. I can see how narcissistic tendencies develop because I can see it in myself at times. Where there are times when I don't want to face my own growth and development, where I don't want to take responsibility in places that I quite honestly feel insecure about. And so it feels really easy to make it black and white and be like, well, what else was I supposed to like given the circumstance or what, you know, like look who I was dealing with. So of course I behave that way, but I want to say that I have found it so incredibly empowering, motivating and fulfilling to own my own behavior to take responsibility for my behavior no matter the circumstance, that I am the same me wherever I go. Now, having said that, I have found that there are certain personalities, certain circumstances, certain situations, certain cultures, for sure, that I find it harder to be the best version of me. But once again, who fills my needs? Is it up to those people to fill my needs, to to make it a better situation for me to be on my best behavior? Or is it up to me that if it's not a healthy environment where I can be my best self, where I'm having a hard time maintaining my moral code or the way that I want to behave towards people, it is then up to me to move away if I need to, to take a break. It still comes back to owning my own behavior, filling my own needs. And the cool thing about this is when you own your own behavior— You absolutely can still have compassion for where you are at when you make a mistake. You absolutely, you're just relating to yourself. When I've done workshops on self-compassion and sometimes it's so interesting how audience members, they think self-compassion is telling yourself you did a good job. Absolutely not. It can't, I mean, it can be if you did a good job, but what if you didn't do it? Self-compassion is relating to yourself kindly in moments of failure. If someone sits down at work lunch and they're like, man, I really screwed up this project. So quickly, we're quick to say, oh, no, you didn't. I'm sure you did great. What if they didn't do great? What if they did screw up the project? That's where I think self-compassion comes in of relating to yourself kindly, saying things to yourself like, you know, everybody has flops. I had one today. It's relating yourself to a bigger picture of all humankind. All humankind make the human experience. We all make mistakes. This is a normal part of the human experience. And I deserve compassion as much as the next person. So often with self-compassion, a way to develop that. And I believe all of this is going to help us as we, as we choose to believe in context for diagnoses over cause, right? Over saying that it's the cause for bad behavior developing this self-compassion in moments of failure. So it's easier, it's a little bit softer to embrace and acknowledge when we don't behave how we want to because we all make mistakes. We all don't behave the way we want to sometimes. And if that becomes less scary, if it's less scary to acknowledge when I make mistakes, it's going to be a whole lot easier to say, sorry, period. And not need to say things like, sorry, but you know, you escalated me, or sorry, but you know, you really should have done this, or sorry, but you know what, the school should really, or sorry, you know what, but my boss, he's he's kind of, right? Sorry for my behavior, period. Sorry for the part I played in this, period. And nothing else needs to be said. I 100% believe in holding people accountable for their own behavior because I believe in being held accountable for my behavior. And More often than not, I find it is not my job. I'm just not in situations all the time where I I feel the need to hold other people accountable. Uh, Certainly as a mother, I do. There are situations, certainly as someone who employs assistants and things like that, I do. And in my friendships, those people that are close to me, I mean, I don't have time to be best friends with everyone in the world. So often relationships where people aren't accountable for their own behavior unless i i really need to work with them or it's a relationship i really want to invest in i just back away from that relationship that's not who i'm going to have in my close circle of people because there starts to be issues like the way that we interact now it, what's interesting about the diagnosis of narcissism as we're talking about narcissistic tendencies the root of pure clinical narcissism is always self-loathing which is not what you'd expect because Narcissists are very much so known of making everything about them. Nothing is their fault. They're the smartest person putting down other people, which can look, if you're not watching, it can look like confidence, overly confidence. And what I want you to understand is self-loathing is at the center of that. And so they have built, I I picture almost like a treasure chest that they have in there, this heart that is bleeding with self-loathing. And they have wrapped these giant chains around and deadbolted that sucker. And it is locked away in a tomb, in a cavern, whatever you want. And the key is thrown away in the sea so that no one can ever, ever, ever touch it. And that's the sad truth about narcissism. But the thing is, it has to be the narcissist's decision to change it has to be the, the person that chooses to look at their life and their diagnoses as an excuse for bad behavior. They have to change that. And hopefully they can do that with help from a medical professional like a therapist. I don't think it's very often their close, intimate relationships that can help them change as much. We can be supportive. But what is most important is is keeping yourself healthy so that you can help people, Right? I don't expect to always be around people that are emotionally healthy because we all have scars. We all have a story. I feel like I have experienced quite a bit of suffering and pain in my life in my short 33 years. And I'm also incredibly aware that I do not have the corner market on pain. It's part of that perspective shift. We're coming back from being the little kid that couldn't see the other side of the box where the toy really was. And we're seeing, oh, there was a toy still there. I'm seeing, oh, there are other perspectives out there. Oh, there are people in China that live like this, and that works for them. Oh, there are people that live in the Bronx, and this is what makes sense. Oh, this person grew up as the first child, and that has a different perspective. Oh, this person grew up without parents. Oh, this person had amazing parents, but then had a really toxic marriage. Oh, this person has a kid that has special needs that's autistic. If you're willing and open to want to hear and learn and understand from those perspectives... I find that the more you realize you don't know, maybe that just makes me feel good, but I think there's truth there that the more I understand about people and their stories, the more humble I've become to realize how much I don't understand and how much I need other people, how much more likely I am to walk into a situation or a conversation with curiosity instead of judgment because I realize life is complicated and it's beautiful And you can always be growing and healing and change. And that is the hope. And that is the hope, I hope, that this podcast, Love ADHD, brings to listeners. That's the hope that I know Tony and I both feel is is recognizing as adults that our brains are wired a little bit different and how common it actually is. I don't know what the statistics are these days. I know I've heard one uh, thrown around as 20% of people, their brains are ADHD-operated. Okay. That's like one in every five people. So we used to see ADHD as this this really rare thing of this little boy that was bouncing off the walls in the standard classroom. And the longer we're seeing, we're like, oh, no, 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 no. It's actually a much bigger thing. It's still the minority, right? 20% of the human population is still by far the minority but not quite as small a minority as we thought. And so if we can learn how to work with that, that our brain wavelengths go at a different speed than other people's, then there is just an insane amount of growth and healing and excitement that can come. You're just learning how to work with your brain, right? Now, whatever, whether you have ADHD or not, blaming your bad behavior on other people or circumstances, I have never found to serve me long-term. It might help me in the moment to have a dopamine hit of not having to feel pain when I wish I had handled something differently, but real healing, real lasting peace is, which is what I want so much in life. And what I have find a lot of is being responsible for my own behavior and for how I choose to interact in situations. It's incredibly empowering. It's very empowering to be able to say, I know me. I invest in me because I know the kind of behavior I strive to have. I know that I'm capable of handling things well. And when I don't, I know how to give myself self-compassion and relate and remember that I am human and that I am learning and that that's exciting. And when I know better, I can do better. And sometimes that is fail after fail after fail, but I'm still getting up and trying. There is momentum happening It's all about trying to learn from our slip-ups, from our mistakes, from our flaws, from even just our haphazard moments. It's not even necessarily a negative thing. I forget things all the time. Is it bad to forget something? Or is it a human reaction that I'm learning how to curve and learning how to create systems so that I don't forget things as much because it does impact my daily life? It does impact my level of stress. It does impact my ability to be on time to things. And so as someone that wants to constantly progressing and growing, and I have a lot of big things I want to do with my life, that's worth it to me to start investing in some time of, okay, how can I help this susceptibility I have? It's because I know that I have ADHD. And so that makes sense. That That's very much so in line with that disorder. Now, what can I do with that? Knowledge is power. It's not because I have ADHD I just forget things, and that's just the way I am. No, that's not the kind of life I want to live. I want to live a life of intention. I hope this has been helpful today. I think the more and more we can see things like a label as context and not cause for our life— for our behavior, for other people's behavior. I think that we'll be able to have more interdependent relationships and less codependent or uh, emotionally unattached, other unhealthy ways of relating to each other. The goal is interdependency. Codependence is where it's someone else's responsibility to make me functional, to make me happy all the time, or I feel responsible to do that for someone else. That's not healthy. What we want is interdependency, which is I'm being the healthiest version of myself. And so are you, whether this is a coworker, a spouse, and we're, we're going to support each other in life and take this journey with each other because we choose to. I don't know about you, but as a teenager, you know, I'd hear the sappy love. I just run in front of a train if I can't be with her Romeo, Juliet drama. And at the time I was like, oh, they're so in love. And now as an adult, I see that. And I'm like, Ugh! ick, unhealthy. That is not a relationship I want because that means I'm responsible for someone else being functional. And that is just way too much responsibility on me. That's very stressful. And as I look towards a life of peace, I hope to continue to interact with people that want that same goal. None of us are there completely. It'll be an ongoing journey forever and we can have all the grace in the world, but that that's their goal is to try to meet their own needs and it's also okay to ask people to help you meet them. That's still you trying to meet your own needs. It can be something like, hey, I've had a really hard day. Would you mind giving me a back rub? That is still interdependence, right? You're recognizing what you need in that moment. Hey, I think this might be a struggle I'm having with my ADHD. Can you help me Can you help me think of a system of where could I put my keys every day? It's not the same as it is ADHD's fault that I can never be on time. It is ADHD's fault that I am grumpy tonight because I'm overstimulated, right? I'm finding ways to meet my own needs. It's the context. It is not the cause. So we have a lot of power. So I'm going to end the episode tonight with our love ADHD note. And it's this, dear Paul, I want you to know that I ADHD have so much to teach you. And you're going to learn so much about the way your brain works. And that's really exciting. A lot of people don't even take the time to, to research and, and to know themselves, to be self-reflective, to know what makes them tick, to know what makes them thrive. And you have this incredible opportunity to get to know me and to be able to to really navigate your life and set yourself up for success with me by your side. And I'm so excited for the journey. I want you to know that I am some context for why you do the things you do. I am not the cause. You get to choose. You get to own that behavior and decide what to do with it. And there's incredible miracles to come because of it. There's going to be tendencies that make your life harder. There's going to be tendencies that kind of create some genius and make some genius as you adapt to it and as you make it work for you. And so I'm just pumped for you to kill it as life and and to to understand what I am and what I'm not in the role that I play. Love ADHD. Thanks everybody for being here. Super happy to have you and we'll see you next time on Love ADHD. (laughs)